Hello everyone, my name is Ildar. Welcome to another episode of Ask Me About North Korea, a podcast about the most reclusive country in the world. In this podcast, I'm answering the most widespread questions about North Korean politics, society, and culture, in a short and concise manner, based on factual evidence. If you like this podcast, I would be grateful if you could share it, leave a positive review, or subscribe. You'll find the transcript of this episode, as well as some commentary posts, book and film reviews on the podcast's website, www.askmeaboutdprk.wordpress.com. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Telegram. Finally, as the name of the podcast suggests, please feel free to ask me questions in your comments and reviews. I will do my best to answer them in the next episodes. And now, let's start. Today's episode is recorded at the request of a dear listener, Comrade Boris from Austria. Thank you, Boris, for staying tuned, and I hope that you'll find this episode interesting, even though it's a bit long. As you might have realized from the title, in this episode, we'll be talking about North Korean culture. This topic is very broad, so in this episode, I will not focus on describing each sphere of North Korean culture, such as literature, sculpture, architecture, visual arts, and so on. Instead, I will talk about culture in broad terms, how it developed throughout the years of North Korea's existence, what purposes it serves, and what are its peculiarities today. If you are interested in specific spheres of art, let me know and I will try to dwell deeper into them. So let us first start with a broader understanding of how Korea's culture was formed. Yes, that's right. First, I would like to give some context to the culture of Korea as a singular entity rather than focusing on the DPRK. After all, Korea has existed as a unified state for more than 11 centuries before splitting into two parts once again. As a cultural entity, Korea was developing in an isolated East Asian geopolitical bubble that was largely dominated by China for millennia. Thus, it shouldn't come as surprising that Korea has experienced many Chinese cultural influences in such areas as arts, literature, calligraphy, and religious rites. Most importantly, however, its culture has also been shaped by the Confucian thought that dominated the East Asian cultural space for generations. A bit later, I will explain why that is important. If we are not talking about China, all other continuous cultural influences like the European, Russian, or American ones came to the Korean peninsula very late, in the 19th century. Even its other neighbor, Japan, didn't interact with Korea all that much under its isolationist Tokugawa regime. Before the Tokugawas, Korean-Japanese contacts were often limited to occasional military conflicts. The 19th century, which was also known as the Age of Imperialism, became a turning point for Korea's perception of the outside world and other countries. And oh boy, it is going to be a bit of an understatement to say that Koreans had negative experiences of interacting with foreigners back then. The government in Tokyo chose to enforce the policy of cultural Japanization on Korea in the first half of the 20th century, combined with harsh political oppression of the local populace, which caused a wave of public backlash. After its liberation from Japan, Korea was immediately occupied by the Soviet Union and the United States, 
who exerted massive cultural influence on each of the parts of the divided peninsula respectively. As you might imagine, all this great power play didn't go too well with Korean nationalists who wanted to establish their own independent state. Even the founder of North Korea, Kim Il-sung, while officially proclaiming himself to be a communist, was a nationalist down to the bone and wanted to be free of the Soviet domination. Thus, it shouldn't come as surprising that North Korea's culture starting from the 1950s was largely founded on the rejection of everything foreign. That also went along quite well with the official state ideology of self-reliance. Just to illustrate how far it went, on Kim Il-sung's order, practically all loan words in the North Korean standard language were purged and replaced with pure Korean words. This was explained by, quote, an ideological preference for the speech of the working class, unquote. But in fact, this was nothing more but a cultural expression of latent xenophobia and ethnic nationalism. It is no coincidence that foreigners, and especially Americans, are most of the time presented as evil or unintelligent in North Korean art. Traditional North Korean culture, of course, bears a lot of similarities to the South Korean one. North Koreans also eat kimchi, they pride themselves on traditional Korean architecture, they wear traditional Korean dresses referred to as hanbok in the south or chuson ot in the north. They naturally use the same writing system even though some of the vocabulary is quite different after more than 70 years of division. In fact, North Korea also possessed a lot of cultural treasures of the former Korean royal dynasties like porcelain pottery and ceramics. Yet, most of these precious artifacts were ravaged and sold to China by the starving local populace in the 1990s. Despite all that, North Korea never misses the chance to stress its Koreanness and demonstrate that it is way more Korean than its southern neighbor, which Seoul usually dismisses with great nonchalance. Nevertheless, occasional outside influences can be spotted here and there. For instance, North Korea's musical art has been largely shaped by the composers of the Soviet military marches. Let me play a short piece from a legendary propaganda song for Kim Jong-il called Without You There Is No Us, Without You There Is No Motherland. I'm sure if you have ever heard any sort of officially military music pieces of the Soviet Union, you might recognize similarities. Let us take a look at other influences that are often discussed in the mass media. For example, under Kim Jong-il, who was a big fan of Western culture, and especially American movies, the country has undergone a certain degree of cultural liberalization due to the paralysis of the entire state apparatus in the 1990s. While some Western experts keep blurting out doom and gloom messages every time they see a Mickey Mouse on the North Korean stage, such phenomena 
are in reality nothing particularly special. They have been around for more than 20 years by now, as the renowned DPRK pop culture pundit Tatiana Gabrusenko points out. In fact, you would be surprised, but North Korean students diligently study the works of Mark Twain at school, while some popular film characters recite Dante, and here I'm making a reference to a film called The Nation and Fate. Deriving things from foreign cultures became less of an anathema, as long as you do not go against the foundations of the state ideology. Now let me go back to the East Asian roots that I have mentioned at the very start. In a relatively perverted understanding of Confucianism, North Korean elites now interpret the role of the North Korean government in society and culture through the concept of an omnipresent collectivist family state. Hence, it isn't surprising that all art in North Korea is largely didactic and officially has to serve the ideological purposes of the country's leadership. Furthermore, it is highly collectivist and all artists have to be members of the official cultural organizations controlled by the ruling Workers' Party of Korea, such as, for example, the General Federation of Korean Literature and Arts Unions. Some art forms, like the famous North Korean Arirang mass games, are a great illustration of that collectivism. Let me provide a quote from Gary Manningen, a Western journalist who attended the event. Quote, On the opposite side of the 114,000-seat May Day Stadium, a bank of 20,000 students are turning the stand into what appears to be a gigantic moving billboard. By flipping in unison through books of up to 170 different colored cards, the students, who train for more than six months, are able to essentially each become a pixel in one giant, ever-changing mosaic of images, ranging from rising suns to military guns. End quote. Popular styles and themes in literature, art, music, and dance, thus focus on praising the genius of the ruling Kim family, broad militaristic themes and specifically the Korean War, as well as on the exaltation of North Korean society. Perhaps you have already heard of a song called We Have Nothing to Envy. It eventually became a title for Barbara Demick's popular book on history of the 1990s in the DBRK. But I'm deviating from the main topic now. As you have probably realized, Collectivist, nationalist, and militarist themes are very popular in North Korean art. According to Kim Il-sung, who was a military guerrilla himself, this sort of culture was supposed to inspire North Koreans not only to always be prepared for a war, but also wage a never-ending economic battle. Still, there is more to North Korean culture than that. It certainly has multiple functions, even though using art as an instrument of propaganda is, of course, one of them and is probably the most renowned one. As I have mentioned in the previous episodes, the ultimate goal of the entire North Korean government apparatus is to ensure the survival of the Kim family and the current political system. Using culture as a means of propaganda in a society that is effectively isolated from the outside world is certainly an effective policy tool that can help achieving that goal. Many works of arts have elements of political indoctrination be it an ode to the great leaders or the patriotic spirit of the North Korean working class. Apart from that, culture also has a diplomatic function, which is used occasionally, but not too often. 
This function is a part of Pyongyang's foreign policy strategy that attempts to show the human side of the country that is often perceived as the mortar of East Asia. One of the most prominent examples was when North Korea's state-owned news agency KCNA agreed to organize a photo exhibition together with one of the most prominent American outlets, Associated Press, in 2012. That was done to cool down political tensions between Washington and Pyongyang. Normally, this function is often applied to South Korea whenever Pyongyang feels like it wants to conduct another charm offensive and try to get something from its southern brethren. Thirdly, like in any culture, North Korean art has a function of cultural self-expression, albeit a very limited one. Indisputably, unlike in many other countries, art is most of the time not a means of self-expression in North Korea because of the incredible politicization of daily life. Yet the government's control over art is still not absolute, since it cannot dictate every single detail of cultural life. One can still argue that this basic function of culture exists in the DPRK, even though the artists are strictly limited in their freedom of choice. Any critical or reflective works are normally frowned upon. Nevertheless, some North Korea experts like Professor Andrei Lenkov claim that one can be relatively flexible with the topics and contents of your work as long as you pay the necessary tribute to the supreme leader and occasionally to the great leader, aka Kim Il-sung, or dear leader, aka Kim Jong-il. Finally, similarly to everywhere else, culture in North Korea has socioeconomic functions, and that is where things start to get a bit more interesting as it gets intertwined with what we normally refer to as mass consumption. Indeed, you would be surprised, but North Korea does have its own pop culture, and it has been developing rapidly under Kim Jong-un. As CBS well put it, quote, North Korean pop culture, long dismissed by critics as a kitschy throwback to the dark days of Stalinism, is getting a major upgrade under leader Kim Jong-un, end quote. In the late 2010s, North Korea began mass-producing films and music pieces that were not just all about military marches and killing Americans. The government figured out that the population is getting tired of the never-ending militaristic saber-rattling as more and more cases of people smuggling in South Korean films and music began to occur. Kim Jong-un and his inner circles knew that they might as well crack down on such practices, but they had to produce some sort of substitute. That had to be done so as the population wouldn't feel interested in circumventing the rules in its attempts to access the foreign media. Most prominent genre now are historical dramas like The Wild Jinsheng Gatherers of the Imjin War, a film set in the late 16th century when Korea was battling against the Japanese invasion. Another example are the new cartoon series like The Boy General that also usually revolve around historical topics. I know that now I will sound like an announcer from Radio Pyongyang, but North Korean animators are actually pretty talented. They were even subcontracted to draw some of the Lion King scenes, if you didn't know. Apart from that, the cultural liberalization wave that started under Kim Jong-il transformed under the rule of his son. On the one hand, even more foreign films and books were allowed as long as those works didn't go against the foundation of the regime's ideology. 
While most of these works are either Chinese, Soviet, or Russian, there are also some exotic things like Bollywood's Three Idiots film with Amir Khan. An even more surreal case happened in 2020 when the Harry Potter book series finally cleared this censorship barrier and was allowed to be read by everyone. In fact, it was even praised by a local literature newspaper for teaching children how to, quote, develop their future by revealing their personal strength and skills, end quote. Morangbong Band is another illustrative example of what some refer to as liberalization of North Korean culture. Morangbong is an ensemble of female vocalists and musicians who all serve in the Korean People's Army. What they are particularly famous for, however, is performing in miniskirts and wearing their hair fashionably short, a clear reference to South Korean girl bands. Their concerts are public and attract a lot of attention in North Korea, and yet wearing a miniskirt for any North Korean woman in Pyongyang would be absolutely unimaginable as she would certainly get a fine and a self-criticism session from the local fashion police. Despite that, punishments for possessing or smuggling in foreign media have become way harsher than they used to be under Kim Jong-il. What is basically happening is that the North Korean government is desperately trying to create a counter-narrative to the streams of information besieging the country. While Pyongyang so far successfully prevents an overwhelming influx of this information inside, some cracks are occasionally showing in its cultural shield as people keep smuggling foreign films, books, and music from China. Thus, North Korean culture has to adapt itself to the changing needs and moods of the population. I would even argue that the state is actively using it as a preventive measure for controlling the spread of information about South Korea and the outside world, being well aware of the fact that using a carrot as a stick is not always the wisest strategy. One can most certainly conclude that under Kim Jong-un, the focus of cultural politics shifted to the educated city youth from the rank-and-file soldiers. As you may well see, North Korean culture is an extremely interesting phenomenon, mostly due to the fact that it is being conserved in an almost completely isolated and yet highly politicized society. Despite that, one cannot simply dismiss it as some sort of neo-Stalinist kitsch. Today, it is both a mass consumption product and a propaganda tool that is constantly adapting itself to what it sees as a weird, dangerous, and very, very complicated world outside. Alas, it seems that the average North Koreans do not play an active role in those transformations so far. What do you think, though? Is North Korean culture truly evolving into something new, or is it merely cosmetic changes orchestrated solely by the government? Leave your opinion in the comments below or in the review section. If you like this episode, please leave a positive review on the podcast platform. Also, feel free to provide your feedback on this episode's quality and ask any questions about North Korea that you might have. Thank you for listening, stay healthy, and stay tuned.